Hey everyone, it's the Kung Fu Genius, aka Alex Richter. And if you're listening to us on audio only, I'd appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to it. And of course, if you like what I do here, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube and hit that bell for notifications. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for Kung Fu Genius fans. Right now, you can get an all-access one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to wcinewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner, fill in your email and password, and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues, even the one with this guy on the cover. My Kung Fu Genius column is in all the new issues, as if you need another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And with that, let's get started. Alright peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of armchair Wing Chun historians, lots of, I heard Bruce Lee couldn't even work of a sweat fighting real humans. Is that true? Let's get to it. He is unstoppable, unbeatable, unbelievable. He's Alex Richter, the Kung Fu Genius. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out! Word is, I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Practiced all day like a genius. Watch out! Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? Oh, Sifu! Here we go. I'm Gucci. I... Gucci. Yeah, man. I don't know if we're, we're allowed to talk about the MMA sh UFC, no? The MMA UFC? Yeah, we're not. The MMA? What are you, an old man the who MMA? just found out about it, right? Do you watch the MMA this weekend? Uh, we yes. can't talk about it. We can talk about it, yeah? but by the time this episode comes out, <laughs> it's old oh, news. Oh, man. We have the least timely podcast in <laughs> martial arts, all right? <laughs> all the other martial art podcasts, they come out like the day after <laughs> what happened in UFC and blah, blah, blah. And we're like three weeks later with our hot oh, takes. Man. Remember that thing that happened three weeks ago? Yeah, Tony Ferguson Woo! got knocked out with a front kick. Uh, I wonder, right up the pipe. I wonder if Steven Seagal taught um, Chandler that front kick. Remember when, uh, uh, I think it was, was it? Uh, Anderson Silva when he knocked out Vitor Belfort with that front kick and then afterwards um, Steven Seagal was, was like, like I taught him that I taught him that yeah alright as, as, as if there's no front kick in Thai boxing or kickboxing right oh, man. Uh, yeah very interesting yeah, it's, it's a, a few fights that just went like Charles Oliveira, man, was yeah, unfortunately oh he wasn't God. able to keep his belt because of the whole missing weight issue. But, I know, but um, he's just great. Man. He's so good. I really, I really would have loved to have seen him fight. Khabib. But anyway, no one comes here to listen to our hot takes on uh, MMA. No one cares, all right? Damn. I remember this back from the dudes of Kung Fu days. Because yeah. uh, with Big Sean, Big Sean and I were, he, Big Sean was a huge MMA fan. Yeah. And so we would, um, those episodes came out a little more quickly because Dudes of Kung Fu was not, we didn't do a video of Dudes of Kung Fu. Mm. It was just audio. Okay. So we would normally record on a Friday night and mm -hmm. then it would come out uh, Monday. So those were a little bit more timely, Got although... It. Yeah, Not you're recording really. after yeah, because the Saturday would happen. Saturday would happen. Yeah, Sunday, exactly. 
new podcast, but then you'll record Friday right. but for we, that we week. could at least yeah. be like a week later on it, right? Yeah, As opposed yeah. to here, we're like two weeks behind on Shite. everything, right? <laughs> so may, maybe if people are interested, I might do Yeah, a, but that uh, kick was phenomenal. Yeah, I might Shout do an out MMA to Michael baseball. Chandler. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, Charles. Charles Oliveira did awesome. And then they have the most boring fight ever, which oh, was... Oh, Thug uh, Rose guy. Yeah, Rose Namajunas and Carlos Sparza. It was Sparza. like watching a rose grow out of the dirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we I think we would be pretty good at commentating MMA. Like the, our, our team, right? Well, I would be like the more dry, like technical analysis guy. Yeah. You'd be like, it looks like watching a rose grow. <laughs> we, that would be awesome. Man. That would be awesome. We man. But I remember from the dudes of Kung Fu days, mm-hmm. uh, because dudes of Kung Fu is most. We just mostly just talked about Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, m- not much unlike this podcast. Mm. Uh, but uh, Big Sean and I, we would get really into MMA stuff because he he had actually coached MMA for a while. He okay. was really big into it. And we would start talking about it. And, like, sometimes, like, the viewers got so pissy. Or the listeners, I should say. They're like, yeah, I don't uh, really about... want you guys to talk about MMA. Hey, why are you talking about that stuff? Because uh, I think... Fighting. I'm... Why are you talking about that? Yeah, I'd rather you talk about kung fu, not fighting. <laughs> not <right>? fighting. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's a problem because I think, like, uh, the martial arts world is so polarized that if you are someone who's into Kung Fu or some someone that's into Wing Chun, it's assumed, mostly rightly so, that you think MMA is not real because they don't allow your real techniques to be in there or that you have issues, oh, that's a sport, what I do is for the streets, bro, uh, whatever. And so the problem uh, is that when you, when you do traditional martial arts or you do Chinese martial arts or Wing Chun or whatever, there's an assumption that you have to be some kind of MMA hater or you don't believe that jiu-jitsu is real or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, to set the record straight, unless it's not been clear to anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm literally not that guy. I, I love martial arts in all of its forms, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a martial arts nerd, yeah. whether we're talking about... You know, on the entertainment side, traditional opera, Hong Kong kung fu movies, Japanese sword films, ninja yeah. movies from the 80s. I love all that stuff, yeah. man. Ninjas. Ninjas yeah. in general, Ninjas right? In general, when we talk yeah. about martial arts, obviously Wing Chun, Chinese martial arts, a little bit more in my wheelhouse. But I'm a huge jiu-jitsu fan, mm-hmm. boxing fan, kickboxing, traditional karate, kyokushin. I love judo. Tai I love bo. all that stuff. Hey. What? Until they have competitive tai bo, I'm not really into it. You know? It's not a sport, man. It <laughs> needs to be a sport. What? <laughs> Yeah, Krav Mega, all right? <laughs> Krav Mega and, and so Supreme. Like, I'm, in, I'm into all this stuff, right? Okay. And, and there's not like, oh, I do Wing Chun. So, because it, it's kind of like if, if you can, if you find out where someone lives, you can, you can almost guess what their political orientation is. You can almost guess what their thoughts on certain things are, right? You know, okay. so, someone tells you they're from uh, Alabama. You, uh, you're paying a picture. And that picture, that might not be an accurate picture. Not, all right? But if uh, someone tells you, I grew up in Alabama, yeah. and they talk to you like this, uh-huh. all right? You could make some pretty safe bets about what they think about certain topics, right? Okay. And if someone is like, I do Wing Chun Kung Fu. Mm. Uh, you can make certain safe bets about what their ideas about MMA are. They probably think MMA is not real because it's a sport, and on the street you can use all your deadly elbows and eye gouges and all this kind of stuff and blah, 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 blah. And if someone just tried to take them down with that jujitsu stuff, they would just, you know, each gum sauce and one, two, three oh, with their, yeah. their Wing Chun combo each and they would sauce. win, right? Each gum sauce. And, um, and that's the problem because then if you applied that stereotype to me, you'd be dead wrong, all right? <laughs> 
And I hope that that comes across in this podcast, even if a majority of our viewers probably lean a little bit towards the okay. uh, Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do is the best, F the rest kind of idea. That's mm. not actually the way I look at things. I have Man. a very open view of martial arts. But um, but anyway, they will Man. revolt if we keep talking about the Mama. Mama. All right. Mama. Well, DC got inducted into the Hall of Fame, which yeah, is dope, but too. but Anderson Silva still hasn't. That's, that's yeah, what's up with weird. that? What's up with that? I don't think they let spiders into... It's bullshit. No, it's bullshit. <laughs> but anyway, we can have another podcast, which is just about Let's MMA. Let's do it. All right? Let's do it. All actually, right. little, little known fact. Yeah. Um, Big Sean and I actually had considered doing an MMA podcast, mm. which was going to be called The Dudes on MMA. Wow. All right? Because we, we realized that we had a lot of stuff to say about MMA, but our dudes of kung fu listeners didn't Was want it. any part of that. They were like, "Yeah, why, why are you so talking you about do that the stuff? spinoff?" Okay. So, and but here's the crazy thing: Sean actually got that Twitter handle. There is out there somewhere uh, a Twitter handle like the dudes on MMA or dudes of MMA or something like that. And wow. he set that up because we wanted to do. We just never got around to mm-hmm. it. But um, uh, yeah, I wonder if uh, we create a separate channel for like. The mm. KFG and the TFG on MMA. Wow. <laughs> so the thing is, funny. I'm not into MMA like that. But that's what. But that's what makes it great. <laughs> it makes it. Yeah. You got it. You got the same amount of knowledge as you do on you know on Chinese else. triads yeah. from the 1850s. Right. right. That's what makes it that's great. That's what makes it great. Because you also represent the voice of the audience that's that doesn't know all of this stuff. Got right. Got it. That's what okay. makes it okay. work. There's right? the dynamic. All right. This podcast would not work if you had two of me. True. Can you imagine if there were two KFGs with the same amount of quote unquote knowledge talking to you? It would be the most insufferable bullshit. All right? <laughs> Just some like dude trying to one up the other grow. dude. It would be like watching a rose. It would be like watching two roses argue. All right? So, anyway. So Hyenas. Now, yeah, all right. Some eight minutes in. Let's, let's, talk. Uh, let's get to the first question. Let's get it in with. Uh, Wow. Okay. Straight out the gate. Amit. Amit. Isn't that like an Egyptian god? I don't know. I watched that Moon Knight on Marvel. I think I, I know stuff. Yeah. I admit. I admit. I admit that. All right. Hey, KFG and team. That's what's up. And team. You guys just get an and team now. A follow-up request on the last Q asked. I guess he uh, asked a question before. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he's a regular. History. Of Wing Chun. Oh my God! Here it goes. While others may be more qualified to speak about it, you, sure. you said very few have your oratory skills. What? Mm, I don't know about that. I don't <laughs> know about that. All right. Ooh. All right. Uh, I'm just no. Saying. Are you confusing was... oral skills with oratory <laughs> skills? What, what's up with him going? Ooh. No, Dre. I think no. you don't understand what no. that word means. No, no, no. Take it easy. Yeah. Everyone, all right? Take it Speaking easy. Speaking skills. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's that's what it means. Was that the question? <laughs> that was the question. History of Wing Chun. All right. With my oratory skills. Yeah. So I have to say, the thing that everyone hates. No, me saying I'm like the least qualified person to talk about this. Because you were not there, because I wasn't there. Unlike oh, unlike the other Wing Chun experts, the other Wing Chun you historians. Thought, you thought you were there. Yeah, there are other people out there who purport to be Wing Chun historians. Mm. Uh, Jim Rosalando. And, yeah, although Jim doesn't actually make a claim of being a historian, he just knows well, he's a lot. Ill with it. He is ill with it, right? So I, I why um, don't we try to get him up on his seat? Yeah, I've, I had him on. I had him on dudes twice. Okay, and um, 
I recently did 10 questions. So uh, I realized that yeah. the, the podcast format that we have, I right, just mm. totally go off on a tangent on the history question. Yeah, yeah. I'll get back to it, I promise. Is, you yeah, know, right. the weekly podcast we do essentially is an ask me anything format. So I MMA, you know, AMA, I, AMA, AMA, right? And so I answer whatever the whatever the audience wants to ask me about Wing Chun, Bruce Lee, Jeet Kune Do, Hong Kong history, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And so that, that format pretty much fits because it, it gives me the chance to talk about a, a variety of topics, even mm-hmm. if they all tend to be a slightly homogenous in category. But still, <laughs> um, right. And anytime I try to do like specialty stuff on uh, this podcast, they generally don't do to like when I want to talk about ninjas or when I do an interview that's not with like John Little or Matt Polly, mm. right? Mm. Whenever I do an interview with Hong Kong movie guys, which I find infinitely fascinating, yeah. those things always tank because the weekly audience that comes here comes to listen to me talk shit about Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do and Bruce Lee and all this kind of stuff, yes. right? Um, and so I realized in order for me to still like I like doing interviews because I'm going to tell you something, Dre, and this is no slight on you. I don't learn anything sitting across talking to you. Right. You, okay. you de-learn yeah. shit. <laughs> I unlearn stuff, all yeah. right? Yeah. Because when we have this podcast, it's basically you ask me questions mm-hmm. and I just tell people what I know or think or know or admit that I don't know about something, right. right? So hopefully people find that interesting. But when I sit across from someone and interview them, mm-hmm. I learn stuff. Yeah. And that is much more satisfying for me, right? Hey, hey. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> so anyway, unfortunately, those things don't get the views that that you know will keep this podcast moving, right? Learn. They don't want me to learn. Yeah, they want me to stay that. dumb. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, right. Only talk about things that are already pre-existing in my head, right? That's so, uh, what I decided to do is we'll have the Monday podcasts as a regular staple. The Monday okay. AMA, uh, and every four weeks or so, we do a live version of it. And then, like, maybe on Thursdays, Mm -hmm. I'll release, like, another type of KFG video, which could be me talking about a topic, like, not not this format, just me more like my old talking head videos where I explain, like, the Kung Fu family tree or, you know, just do some dumb clickbait stuff like, 10 things you didn't know about Yip Man. Mm. I saw the other day, there was a video, 10 things you didn't know about Bruce Lee. It was like, it came out like three days ago. It yeah. already had like 80,000 views. Oh. And I'm like, I guarantee you I know everything in that video. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to, so we have the normal KFG podcast. Uh. So and we have a, a playlist. So for those of you who want to keep up with it, uh, I have a playlist for year one, and this episode is year two, so you can listen to year two playlist. Okay. I'm going to create a separate playlist called Clickbait Bullshit. Oh, all right, and I'm going sweet. to, and I'm just going to make because I've I've seen what these guys out there do, like like uh, these these Bruce Lee factory websites or Bruce Lee factory channels that just make these this Bruce Lee content, which is like mind-numbingly stupid, mm-hmm. and I'm like I can just do a better version of that stuff or like what some Wing Chun Sifus do, um, you know, like about Yip Man and stuff. This is like just mindless clickbait nonsense. But this is the stuff that people look at. So I think that on Thursdays, I'm going to try to have like another type of video, which is me talking about a subject or something more clickbaity for the normies and the casuals. Mm. But then occasionally I can do a 10 questions with rather than doing a full KFG podcast, which is an interview. I just have 10 questions. And I recently did one with Frank Jang, who used to work at Tai Sang. He's the master of remaster, does all of these great commentaries for uh, like, I believe, for 88 films and and um, Mm -hmm. and uh, Eureka 
and he's a good friend of mine. So he was here in New York and we sat and we talked about Kung Fu movies and I asked him 10 questions and it's super interesting. And cool. uh, you guys can check it out on this um, channel if you haven't seen it already. When is, um, oh, it's out already. By the time this episode comes out, uh, it will be out already. At the time of this recording, uh, no. no. All right. Uh, uh, but it's actually, okay. but it's coming out Thursday this week. So it'll already be out by the time Sweet. this episode comes out. So uh, I think I'm going to do that on another day so as to not interfere with like the Monday AMA podcast. Okay. Then do like that other special experimental content I'll try to to push out on um, on Thursdays and so I would like to to kind of come back to this original question I would like to have Jim Rosalando on the KFG because I've had him on Dudes of Kung Fu yeah. but um, have not had him on this podcast and he knows a lot of about the history especially uh, obviously in regards to uh, Lerk John our the the the, the Sigong of uh, Grandmaster Yip Man, all right, the Kung Fu King of Wing Chun, right, and uh, lots of interesting stuff there as well. And he's also continued his research into kind of where are the descendants of Leung Jan today, and kind of he also looks to debunk some of the stories and stuff. The problem with Chinese martial arts history, and I've said it before multiple times on this podcast, and I'm almost at the point of being repetitive now, is that it's just. It's just a cacophony of hot nonsense. It's a, it's a, it's a steaming, it's a, it's, it's, it's a steaming garbage dumpster fire of, of hot nonsense. All right. Imagine how that smells. It smells, it smells like New York on a hot summer day. All right. Everyone from New York knows what that smell is. Right. They put the garbage on the street. The garbage gets hot. The garbage leaks. You walk by. Yeah. There's nothing like China, Chinatown, Manhattan Chinatown on the hottest day in August. All right. Damn. That is basically what Wing Chun history smells like. All right. Oh. That's it right there. There you go. All right. <laughs> and the problem is that there's so many issues with Chinese martial arts history in general mm-hmm. and Wing Chun history in particular. One, we really don't have any written records. Okay. Now, I know that Hendrik Santo came out with some documents that he found especially about the early origins of Wing Chun or whatever like we still I don't know about the veracity of all that stuff right and the problem is that we don't we don't even properly recall the recent history that well I mean even if even if you start telling stories about the time of Yip Man in the 1950s and 60s -hmm. there are already discrepancies about those stories about dates about who was involved who wasn't involved who learned what from whom at what time or whatever and we're talking about this wasn't even a hundred years ago all right Mm. and that is still in essentially trackable recent history and there are photos of Grandmaster Yip Man and there are a few people left who were around at that time and there's more reliable stuff for that and even that is not accurate so how are you going to say with any kind of certainty about what happened with Wing Chun in the 1850s? You cannot even get the story of the 1950s straight, okay? And I say that, and I say that without being sarcastic or trying to be funny. You cannot accurately tell what happened in the 1950s today in 2022. So get the F out of here with you speaking with authority on what happened, what the exploits of Dr. Leung Chan was in the mid 1800s. Get the F out of here. All right. Because you cannot make those claims. What happens is people hear these histories from their Sifu or their Sigong. And of course they like their Sifu or their Sigong because their Sifu or Sigong is a swell guy. That's (laughs) why they're learning from them. So of course there's, there's something um, it's called a liking bias. All right. If you like someone, you're way more, uh, 
willing to accept what they say uncritically than you are uh, from someone that you don't like. Mm. So when it comes to the oral history of Wing Chun, everyone has heard that story from someone they like, i.e. their Sifu. So you automatically have to apply liking bias to anything that to their own judgment of the veracity of that story. Their Sifu told them their Sifu's a swell guy and they don't like that other guy. So they're, they're going to discount what that other person says more because of something called liking bias. All right. Mm. Also, you have something called the primacy effect. The first version of something you see or do is normally the one that sticks out in your head the most. Wow. All right. So your, uh, your first time doing something, a first experience you have with martial arts or with anything is going to stick in your mind and it's going to make a lasting impression, hmm. right? So you have to imagine that for anyone who's telling these stories, which have all been passed, you know, this is all oral tradition, all right? You have to overcome the fact that these are mostly told by people who are suffering from liking bias and also the primacy effect of that's the first person who told them that. So everything else they hear about the history of Wing Chun doesn't come to them with fresh ears. It comes to them through the filter of that first story they heard because it sits so hard in their brains because it was the first one they heard. When you hear a fact, you should be able to determine or judge whether that thing is correct or not, independent of what your feeling is on that thing. And this is a big problem, especially in today's society, because feelings about things are judged with equal importance as facts. How you feel about something says nothing about whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. And something could be true that makes you personally uncomfortable. Like, for example, the Bruce Lee drug letters thing. Okay, that's a perfect, that's a modern example of this problem. The number of people, I still get comments on there, people saying like that I'm the world, that I'm the world's worst person for revealing this as if I'm the one who found the letters. I mean, like, yeah. I like, did you not watch the video? Like the videos, yeah. the, the letters were found at an auction. They were put online. I was able to read them. That's what I, I wasn't the one who exposed them, right? But there's this thing that because people's first exposure to Bruce Lee was probably through the films, and this is another okay. reason why people have a difficult time accepting the fact that maybe Bruce Lee would not have been able to walk in to UFC and just beat whoever the current champion is in his weight class if he could be zoomed into this time period. It has to do with the fact of primacy effect. The first time people saw Bruce Lee, they were most likely very young and they were mm -hmm. most likely very impressionable. And then they see him doing all this stuff on the screen and they just go, oh my God, this is amazing. And even as adults cannot reconcile that with the very real fact of how violence is actually executed in real life. Oh, right. And, and what it actually means to really be able to fight and defend yourself. And I say that as a huge Bruce Lee fan. And I say that as someone as a huge fan of what Bruce Lee's philosophies of martial arts were. Because I believe the first person who would have told you that that stuff he doesn't enter the dragon is not going to work against a trained killer would have been Bruce Lee. Okay? So the thing is when I say that, the modern right. kind of trolling way of looking at Bruce Lee is to kind of try to completely diminish him entirely because of his lack of MMA credentials in the 1960s, you know, because as opposed to all those other fighters who were fighting in MMA in the 1960s, um, <laughs> they want to diminish him entirely as if he somehow was not someone who was an innovator and someone who's very instrumental to the development of martial arts as we see it today. Well, Gene LaBelle was um, doing MMA in the 60s. 
in the yes, all right. Yeah, you'd one match, all right, yeah. and 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 he did that, yeah. all right. But that was a very uh, rare thing at that time period, mm -hmm. right? And you know, but this idea that somehow that there was like a prevalent mixed martial arts scene, that that Gene LaBelle fight with uh, Milo Savage was it was actually a very difficult thing to coordinate because of state athletic commissions. They didn't have mixed rules fights at that time, Damn. so it wasn't something like Bruce Lee could just go out and do those things whenever he wanted to, right? And you know, so anyway, but I, I don't want to go into too much of that tangent. But the the problem is that because of people's first exposure to Bruce Lee when they were young, mm -hmm. seeing him in the films, when you're younger, you have a harder time discerning what's, what's real in the films as opposed to what's real. And that's why as adults, you have a lot of people like, oh, Bruce would have totally done this and this and this. And what they're what they really are is they're victims of the primacy effect of how how Bruce Lee was introduced to them hmm. or Kung Fu in general or their Sifu, or their Sifu story, or the history of Wing Chun, right? So I'm not the one to sit here and tell you, you know, the, to give you a timeline of the 1850s Red Boat Wing Chun and how that developed into what it is today. There are people far more qualified on that stuff than I am, all right? I've read all that stuff. I could probably speak more than the average Wing Chun person on that. But I know my wheelhouse. Um, I know... For certain, I've talked about it recently about the whole Shaolin Temple story essentially being a fake story and that being a plagiarism of a fabricated Hong Moon story already. So anything related to the Shaolin Temple, the burning of the Shaolin Temple, the five elders, with specific reference to people like Qi Sim or Feng Dou Tak or Park Mei or Yim Wing Chun or whatever, that story is a plagiarism of the Hong Moon Shaolin story and the Hong Moon Shaolin story is a fake false flag story written by the Hong Moon to instill patriotism mm -hmm. among its readers. So, so already the, the framework by which most Kung Fu styles, especially Southern styles, exist, which is that they come from the Southern Shaolin Temple. That story is a plagiarism of a fake story, okay? So when you want to argue about details, who was, who was the guy who betrayed the Shaolin Temple? Was it Pak Mei or was it um, Ma Ling Yi, all right? It's a it's a big load of who gives a f the story's fake anyway, all right? Okay, it's a big load of the the plagiarized story of the fake story. Okay, all right. It's it's just like I don't know. It's a plagiarized copy of Millie Vanilli. All right. I mean, like, it's not real, people. It's Damn. not real. Okay. Fake. You might like the dancing. It wasn't that they weren't singing. All right. They would. It, it's them. Per has Damn. no clothes. All right, guys, come on. It's like getting a so, Gucci purse and, and exactly it's fake, fake Gucci purse. Yeah, it's got then, three C's on yeah, it instead yeah, of two. It's, it's, it's like Gucci, terrible. Gucci, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that is the problem. All right. Mm. The whole idea that Moy escaped the bur burning Shaolin temple, you know, that she was one of the five elders. That's a fake story. It's a plagiarized fake story. Get over it, people. So the problem is you can't start with that as your foundation and then try to reconstruct and fit in details from there when the entire story is not real. Okay? So it is this is this there's coded language in there. There's stuff that was developed by the Hong Moon. There's reasons why this story came to be, but the story's not true. So you have to get you have to stop trying to prove or disprove that the story is fake you have <laughs> to yeah you, you have to, to it. you have to rip the whole thing apart and then go what do we actually know and what and how far back can we go and the truth is it's not really that far back mm -mm. and it's all just speculation and the other thing is that it doesn't matter part of i think the reason why 
I mean, obviously, I would like to know. It would be great if we could definitively know what the history of our style was. It would be great. I would love to know it. I would be very interested in that. If it had nothing to do with the Shaolin Temple or nothing to do with a female named Moi or Yim Wing Chun or whatever, it like, wouldn't bother me one bit. I would just love to know what the actual truth is, right? Mm-hmm. One way or another. Or if it turned out that it did have to do, in fact, with two females designing the art maybe they had different names i would think that was great too. like it doesn't matter i don't have any investment in the story because i don't know the truth is the truth no matter how you feel about it right mm-hmm. and it's most likely the case that yim wing chun and moi the two females had nothing to do with the origin of wing chun very much like 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 the early ideas in the christian religion they were mostly plagiarized from other local religions the whole virgin birth and all that guy. these are plagiarized from other religions and the same thing with uh, the the Moi story. W- Wing Chun isn't even the only s- style that has someone named Wing Chun supposedly is the founder. <laughs> Five Pattern Hongkun has Fong Wing Chun as the female that that who also learned the style or taught the style or whatever. So so wow. there already you start to go mm, when you start to see similar names and things pop up in other stories. Uh, you start to go, okay, maybe the whole thing is just kind of, be- maybe they're all just kind of copying each other's homework mm. as far as the story goes. <laughs> all right. Looking over the shoulder. And so then, huh. on top of the fact that the known stories are most likely fake, on top of that, the versions of the stories or the things that could be more true are told through oral tradition over generation after generation after generation. Telephone. You know, yeah, the game of telephone. But the problem is it's not telephone in live time. It's telephone over 100 years. You know when your boy tells you a story (laughs) about what happened. You know your boy probably added a couple little details to make it sound better. Yeah. And adds his own spin and adds his own perspective. All right? And that's something that happened today. All right? Now tell me how accurate... Please tell me the history of Leung John right now. I mean, like, I want to hear a historian tell me that, right? And also, the other thing, you have to be slightly wary of some of these guys who have deemed themselves historians or encyclopedias or whatever, okay? Is, to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. not a single one of them has a degree in history. Wow. Okay? You... Which means wow. they're not actually historians by trade. They are Wing Chun Sifus who have an above average interest in the history of Wing Chun. And perhaps they know things that the average Wing Chun Sifu, the average Wing Chun Sifu may be more concerned with teaching Wing Chun or the techniques or teaching their students than the history. Mm-hmm. So they have an above average interest, which just means they have more interest in the history than the guy who just teaches the art. Okay? But they are not historians. You have to have a degree in history, to call yourself a historian, because judging history, writing history, there is a method. This is also part of the scientific method. And most of the histories written by these experts, also, it's very curious that the histories that they reveal also somehow substantiate the lineages that they teach. Isn't it a coincidence? Not a single one of them has found out that the real history of Wing Chun is through this one line that they're actually not teaching. Right. Like they, cynical attitude. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, actually, well, you know what? I, I did all my research. Uh-huh. The real line of Wing Chun that actually does it correctly and knows the real history is this other line. Yeah. I don't teach it, though. I teach this one. Yeah. It's very strange, all right, yeah. that somehow that these accidents of fate that you happen to stumble upon the correct, the correct authentic one. style yeah. also substantiates your research 
It's very curious. All right, be very wary of Wing Chun experts on the side of his on the on the historical tip. All right, take it all with a grain of salt. They don't know any any more than anyone else who can do a little bit of reading and a little bit of research. The thing is. We might know some stuff, but we cannot prove anything. And if you can't prove it, you can't say it definitively. These, what, what blows me away is that I'm not a historian. I don't even play one on TV. But anytime I say something related or I try at least to see something related, even in recent history, go, look, you have to couch it with phrases like, I heard this, mm -hmm. okay? And, and mean it in a way that, which means that I don't know if it's true. Okay, or according to so and so, all right, or no one knows for sure, but some people believe, and then you say your thing. You need to couch your statements with intellectually honest uh, intros. Like, no one knows for sure, yeah. there is no evidence to substantiate this, but some people believe. All right. And also you could say, like, look, I heard from so and so. I hope when, I hope when people hear me say that, that means like, look, someone said this, but doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. Because some people think that so and so said is a is a precursor to anything I'm about to tell you is true. All right. No. When you say someone said, you have to tend automatically take it with a grain of salt. And I would hope that these Wing Chun historians and these Wing Chun encyclopedias would use that language a little bit more than saying stuff as if it's somehow definitive because it's not. None of these guys can tell you definitively what happened. They need to be intellectually honest enough to say that, but many of them don't. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners, if you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learning line, and want to get really personalized immersion training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Chum Q, Buji, Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory, Fighting Applications, and Training Methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. For those of you who are not quite ready to do full private immersion training, you can also apply for a spot at either our winter or summer intensive training camps. We have a few spots available for non-city Wing Chun students, so apply today. A link for those options are in the description below. And now back to me. All right, what darn, you got next? Darn, darn, it, darn, darn. Flarn, fling, flarn. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, what do we got next? Hey, all right, next up we got Tai Chi Kuo. Tai Chi Kuo. Tai Chi Kuo. Mm -hmm. Reacts. R-E. Bruce Lee's Vanity. His teenage movies do remind me of Mark Paul Gosselaar. 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 From Saved by the Bell. From Saved by the Bell. Oh, is that, is that what he said? This is a reaction. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, R.E. Triad Assassination. The only theory that would kind of sort of work is if the Bamboo Union set up a hit at Betty Ting Pei's to resurrect Jimmy uh, Jimmy Wang Yu's career. Mm -hmm. But drug-related weirdness is way outside their bullets and hatchets M.O. Mm, okay. okay. And question for the future episode. Okay. In a recent episode, you discussed mixing Wing Chun with other Kung Fu styles. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on San Shao? San Shou. San Shou. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and when pressure testing, competi- competing in Kung Fu, Bay, Bay Mo, B Wu, uh-huh. matches or tournament fighting, do you prefer San Shou or Koyushu Letai rules? Okay. I love you saying all these these, uh, this this Chinese terminology. It's great. Best. We should make a mashup no. of just you saying Chinese words. No, we should not. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> no. And then and then underneath, have what the word is actually supposed to be, and just have you have you just have you destroying them. Uh, all right. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. Well, for the first part of his uh, question was some comments on some previous stuff. Yeah. Talking about uh, Bruce's vanity or whatever, what he was like in his early films. Yeah, in his early films that he made before coming to the States as a teenager, he was kind of like a bit of a punky kid. But that was really art imitating life. He really was like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, absolutely correct there. Uh, the Jimmy Wang Yu, well, I mean, to be fair, he goes, the only triad theory that might make sense is Jimmy Wang Yu offing Bruce. But the truth is that doesn't make any effing sense at all. All right. Remember that... Um, Jimmy Wang Yu, who was a former Shaw Brothers actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Chow, who later founded Golden Harvest. He basically backstabbed uh, Run Run Shaw and created his own rival film studio with Golden Harvest mm-hmm. and poached Jimmy Wang Yu when supposedly Jimmy Wang Yu was still on contract with Shaw Brothers. And at the very early stages of Golden Harvest, Run Run Shaw was trying to basically destroy golden harvest by keeping them in court Mm -hmm. by suing them because of jimmy wang Yu. so uh golden harvest had a really hard time using jimmy wang Yu because there was like litigation going on about this because run run shaw was saying he's still on contract with the shaw brothers and uh you know raymond chow saying well he's with me now and it ended up putting um jimmy wang Yu in like a little bit of a mini exile where he he had to kind of stay in Taiwan and make I think he had to make some of his movies over there to kind of avoid um, making films directly in Hong Kong because there was uh, there was something going on. I'm, I'm uh, I I had read the entire story once, but it's been a while, so I'm a little I'm a little out of practice with the details of the uh, Run Run Shaw Raymond Chow feud. Maybe I'll do that as a uh, special topic Thursday episode. I'll go back. I'll go through my notes and and do one of those because the story is kind of interesting. Um, Jimmy Wang Yu also, uh, who just passed away, I think about a month or so ago, um, Jimmy Wang Yu also had triad connections. Okay. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's the reason why uh, Jackie Chan was in some kind of ironclad contract with Lo Wei. Lo Wei being the guy who directed Bruce Lee's first two movies. That's right. And directed the early Jackie Chan movies. And apparently Jackie Chan was in some kind of weird contract with Lo Wei that he could not get out of, uh, which meant he could not pursue other film avenues. And supposedly Jimmy Wang Yu, with his connections, he had a talk with Lo Wei. And Lo Wei released Jackie Chan from this contract. All right? <laughs> something to that effect, right? The, the exact details, are, I mean, they're, again, they're people far more qualified than myself to, to give those, those details. But something like that is what happened. Mm. And so as a result, Jackie was essentially always in Jimmy Wang Yu's debt for doing that for him. And I think that's the reason why he made the movie Crime Story, which was just a shitbox film (laughs) made at the height of Jackie Chan's popularity when Jackie Chan is just cranking out these bangers. Yeah. And he made this one movie Crime Story, which I believe was directed by Jimmy Wang Yu. Oh, wow. And uh, from what I heard, that whole film was just a big money laundering front for some of Jimmy Wang Yu's illegal 
businesses and money. I didn't know about that. And because uh, because Jackie, and this was years later, still mm. owed Jimmy a favor. Jimmy was like, "You're gonna be in my movie," and Jackie mm. had to oblige. And it's like, it's a rare kind of weird stinker that Jackie was in kind of at the height of him making all these really fantastic movies. He's in like this weird movie. Uh, the American title is called Crime Story. I don't I don't remember the Chinese title, but it was just a big POS. Uh, and that was because uh, of this, he owed Jimmy Wang Yu a favor, right? So Jimmy Wang Yu definitely did have triad connections. Um, and so it's also been speculated that he might have had something to do with Bruce Lee's death. Basically, anyone who was a triad or had triad connections... Obviously, they were the reason why Bruce Lee died, right? Even if it doesn't actually make any sense. Now, okay. uh, Jimmy Wang, you was still on contract with uh, Golden Harvest, and so was Bruce Lee. And afterwards, Jimmy Wang, you made some films for Golden Harvest, like right. I think uh, The Man from Hong Kong. And so the idea that he would off someone else in his own in his own studio. It just it doesn't make any sense. Plus, also when you look at the the way that Bruce Lee died, um, foul play just doesn't really seem. Bruce Lee did something to himself that caused his own death, whether it was gradual or sudden. Uh, he wasn't. Just, it doesn't really seem, according to the autopsies, toxicology reports, and things like that, like someone killed him, right? So again, that actually doesn't make any. So the Jimmy Wang Yu thing actually makes zero sense at all. So to finally get to the question, I talked about mixing styles. Well, that episode, I believe, was about mixing Wing Chun with other Kung Fu styles, like other animal forms and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not entirely the same. Um, I, I love sport fighting, but again, it's still very different than um, learning to defend yourself on the street. And again, I'm not trying to make some weird, yo, I fight on the streets, bro, or whatever, because I believe that people who really train in sport oriented martial arts especially full contact like full contact kickboxing Thai boxing even sport jujitsu all right the people who practice those martial arts they can defend themselves because they're used to practicing against someone who's fully resisting with them right hmm. now um whether the the person who does uh, muay thai kickboxing also knows how to defend themselves on the ground that's a different story whether the person who does sport jujitsu can apply is um, able to apply all of those same sport jiu-jitsu transitions when now someone is trying to punch and kick them. This is a different story, but uh, right. I, I'm not the the Wing Chun guy that goes, well, those guys are trained for sport so they can't defend themselves on the street. Absolutely not. All right? It, 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 you meet any high-level Thai, Thai boxer and tell me that dude cannot protect himself on the street, you're an idiot, okay? Um, or a high-level sport jiu-jitsu practitioner that doesn't do any striking, tell me that if that guy gets a hold of you, you're not going to be in trouble. So literally, I'm not that guy. Damn it. So for me, I go, I wish all right. you were that guy. Uh, no, because the Kung Fu is full of those guys. We have too many of those guys. <laughs> um, so the idea that, okay, you want to pressure test Wing Chun, now you're going to do Sancho or Sanda or something like that. For me, that doesn't really make any sense. Because in order to do that, well, now you're doing Sanda, you're doing Sancho, you're doing that. And that is essentially a Chinese form of kickboxing with some throws. So if you want to get really good at mm. that, you got to learn that. It doesn't make sense. If you want to pressure test Wing Chun, then you pressure test Wing Chun. And there are ways of doing that with equipment on and building up certain drills. I think one of the guys, in my opinion, who does some of the best and most realistic pressure testing for um, various arts in in combat is, is Burton Richardson from... Uh, uh, JKD Unlimited. He mm. he has his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the street, which he focuses on 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu for self-defense, but also Brazilian jiu-jitsu when weapons are involved. Like he does, like no one else does that. Mm-hmm. He does like jiu-jitsu stuff where in the middle of grappling, your partner pulls out a knife and you got to now contain the knife. And because that's a very realistic scenario and someone might pull out a knife if you're on the ground, someone might pull out a gun, headbutts, all these kind of things are totally allowed in street fight, in self-defense, in a realistic situation. And so what Burton Richardson does is when he teaches, for example, his Brazilian jiu-jitsu program, which is like BJJ for the street, um, when they pressure test it, they'll sometimes put like helmets on where they allow like headbutting. Their partner might have a weapon like on their belt. Okay. And then in the middle of the exchange, pull it out and you got to be ready for that, right? And that changes how you do it. That's not him telling his students in order to pressure test, they need to go and do sport jujitsu. Now, he's not not telling his students to do sport jujitsu, but he was making it very clear that for personal protection, the type of pressure testing has to be based on the kind of things that happen in those Mm -hmm. situations, right? But he does the same thing for his JKD and for... From what I can tell from his postings, like the Salat that he teaches and the Filipino martial arts stuff that he teaches. And so that starts with doing things in a slightly more playful progression where the other guy can do all sorts of things to you that happen on the street. And then as you get more skillful, you gradually increase the pressure there. For me, that is a much more sensible way to teach your students or to train your students and to learn how to realistically apply the skills that you're teaching them in a scenario that looks like what might actually happen on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that if you put your student in Sancho, they're not pressure testing. Of course, they're pressure testing it, but you're pressure testing Sancho. You're not pressure testing Wing Chun. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Like, like you, you can take a high-level boxer and say, I want to pressure test your boxing and put you in a Muay Thai uh, fight. Well, yeah, their boxing skills are also going to help them in there, but now they got someone trying to kick the shit out of their legs, yeah. give them elbows and knees. How about you just train that guy in Thai boxing and then call it what it is, Thai boxing, all right? So I, I don't think that that's necessarily the way to do it. And I know that there's some Wing Chun people out there who've adapted their Wing Chun for things like Sanda and Sancho, like the uh, Chi La La and stuff like that. But then what you have to do is you have to now create a Wing Chun uh, you have to essentially learn Sanda or Sancho. You have to learn those techniques. You have to be good at it. You have to understand the rules and have experience and then find a way to retrofit some Wing Chun ideas into that. And then right. you're essentially still doing Sancho with some Wing Chun ideas and concepts thrown in. You're not doing Wing Chun in a Sancho contest, right? Mm. So I think mm. you need to kind of call a spade a spade as far as that goes. What is Sancho? Sancho is Chinese kickboxing. It's a form of kickboxing, sometimes called Sanda. Mm-hmm. And it allows like low kicks and it, it, boxing low kicks, I think maybe knee strikes. But they also, unlike Thai boxing, they do lots of throws. And it's very exciting and very fast paced. I love Sancho and Sanda. It's very, very cool to watch. They have tournaments. Yeah, yeah in a ring. You ever see that film, Mokasma? I am Sancho. No. <laughs> no. And, oh. uh, and, and Lei Thai, I think, is the same type of thing, but they use uh, like a raised ring. Kyosho. Uh, no, uh, uh, it's actually Guoshu. Guoshu actually just guoshu. means national martial arts. It's, it's a euphemism for Wushu. Uh, guoshu just means in Mandarin, just means national arts. Oh, that's usually that with the K. That's usually a Taiwanese spelling. Ah. If someone spells it with a K, it's usually Taiwanese. And if the guy's name is Kuo, that he's probably also from Taiwan because the the Mandarin spelling is uh, with is a G with because a it, because it's actually pronounced with a G, not with a K. God. So anyway, cool question. All right, what next up. Thank you for the question. Uh, next up, we got Blaine Rock. Okay. Question. Here we go. What is the story behind the design of the technician rank uniform in Learn Ting WT? Oh, right. The I think you went over this before. I might have. I might have. I think you touched on it. 
Yeah. The, uh, but I know you told me this story. I definitely told you, right? Well, <laughs> this, so, this is great stuff. So um, interesting, on, on Instagram, there's a guy named uh, Derek Chan. He's, yeah. uh, he's got a very big Instagram channel. Uh, there's also Wing Chun Sifu from the Toronto area. And he recently uh, posted something about, like, this is not a kung fu uniform. You know, when you see people wearing the Chinese style clothing from, <laughs> let's say, the Qing dynasty, the the pants and then the frog button jacket. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, that was what was known as a kung fu uniform, right? If you go to Chinatown, oh, go to a martial right. arts store, yeah. you go, hey, I need a kung fu uniform. They'll <laughs> say, you want the white buttons or the black buttons or yeah. you want the silk one or you want this one or whatever, right? Yeah. And Last Dragon style. Yeah. The yeah. thing is that, that, is, that there's no such thing as a kung fu uniform, oh. okay? Because um, that, that style of clothing was just what Chinese people wore in that time period. Wow. Okay, that, that was... That's not. It's kind of like what do you call Chinese food in Hong Kong? You call it food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So uh, it's good food. Yeah. What you, What do you call Chinese food in China? You just call it food, right? You don't call right. it Chinese food, right? right. Maybe uh, I think it was an old uh, Seinfeld joke, or maybe it was on Family Guy. Would takeout in China is American food, right? Yeah. Uh, as okay. takeout here is Chinese food, right? So uh, y- that was never a, a kung fu uniform, but when you saw. Kung Fu films, which were often um, in the time of the Qing dynasty, people would wear the clothing of that time period while they were doing the Kung Fu of that film. And that then became adopted, especially for Westerners, as that being a Kung Fu uniform. Japanese karate, they wear gi with the lapel and the belt holding it. Judo has the thick, Judo and Jiu Jitsu have the thicker versions, right? Uh, Aikido, you have the Hakama pants. And so, so you, you know, and the, the the Taekwondo guys have the V-neck one. Like, so you have these uniforms. So what do the Chinese Kung Fu people wear? They wear the Kung Fu uniform, right? When in reality, oh. this is just what's known as Tong Zhong. Tong Zhong literally just means Chinese clothing. Oh, <laughs> Tong meaning man. like Tong, like the Tong people. Zhong meaning like the, the what you wear, right? The clothing or wardrobe, right? Okay. So Tong Zhong is just what Chinese people wear. And when you look at um, many of the demonstrations that Chinese Kung Fu schools will do, they will wear that kind of Chinese clothing because they're trying to invoke the uh, time period from whence these martial arts came. But they're not doing it because it is a uniform. And most in Hong Kong, most Chinese Kung Fu schools, like in the 50s and 60s, when they came to training, they didn't have any uniform. All right. Sometimes you would see like with white beaters or tank tops. Yes. All right. Yeah. I don't think you can call them that anymore. No, Trey. you can't. All that's, right. That's not PC. You call them tank tops. You call them undershirts. All right. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, if, if you look at most of um, the group photos yeah. of like in, 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 in at that time, especially if they had just had some training, yeah. they would usually just wear tank tops or because actually what they did is they didn't have a training uniform. They maybe wore, um, maybe they wore a suit to go to work. So they had this slacks, all right? or the maybe, or maybe they came from school where they're wearing yeah. a uniform, right? So when they come to the kung fu school, they take off their button-up shirt. They yeah. t- obviously they take off their jacket. They take off the button-up shirt, and they practice in their dress slacks and the undershirt. Yeah. So that's why you would often see Wing Chun people practicing in dress slacks. And an undershirt because they actually just came from either work or school so in their wild. uniform. And, 
you know, they didn't go and they put sweatpants on or something like that, right? They didn't, they didn't have but of course, I, but I, I'm, I'm stage, yeah, they didn't have changing rooms, up. all those kind of things, right? right. The, you didn't join Yip Man School and have to pay an extra seventy dollars to get the the training uniform, right. right? So that's why you often saw, at least in the case of Wing Chun, it might be different in some of the other martial arts schools. They might have formalized that, or they might have worn more informal clothes, or I, I don't know. Um, and but that was like what people trained in. And there are a few. Uh, group photos with Grandmaster Yip Man where they are wearing something that looks like a uniform, but it seems like they wore it specifically for the photo to look like they're more in uniform. And even some of Leung Seung's students said that they had done it in a couple of those photos mm -hmm. where they wore pants that looked like they were the pants that belonged to those so-called Kung Fu uniforms. And they wore a shirt usually like the Lei Kung Man, the three-button-on-top style shirt, yeah? yeah? And then it said maybe it had Wing Chun printed on it, or in the case of Leung Seung, it said Leung Seung, uh, Leung Seung Wing Chun or something like that, right? And they might have just worn those for the photo. You know what I mean? As opposed to like they, they weren't coming in day in and day out and wearing those things. When you okay. when you look at, at um, Grandmaster Yip Man teaching uh, or he, when he was visiting the Macau Wing Chun school, and he's on the rooftop there watching some of Hong Kong students cheese out with each other and even fight with each other. They're like wearing dress slacks and tank tops. Like so they weren't wearing a uniform, probably still wearing the t the slippery dress shoes that they they had. They're like going in there and putting on kung fu slippers or they're not putting on wow. sneakers, right? So so this idea that you, there was like a specific kung fu uniform is more of a Western construction. However, in the late '60s, when Sifu Ting started to teach. Uh, professionally. He mm -hmm. wanted to do something that kind of helped him stand apart. And one of the things that helped him stand apart was to formalize the uniforms. And and so that you so you would have a look. So when you saw people wearing this uniform, you knew that they came in this case from Leung Ting Wing Chun. So he could he could become kind of a trademark. And also to be fair, it's more professional. Um I, like I get it when like when I speak to my colleagues in the greater Wing Chun world, especially those who come from a more kind of classic or traditional Wing Chun route, like their Sifu learned in Hong Kong or whatever. Uh, the ideas of uniforms and ranking systems and stuff like that are very foreign to them, right? They just kind of show up for training, wearing whatever they're wearing. Nowadays in Hong Kong, maybe they'll throw on a pair of sweats. Yeah. But um, even, in, even in Sifu Lee's gym, Liam Tim, my, my, my Sibak, yeah. They technically, they technically that. have a uniform, but half of, most of his students don't wear it. Mm. The only time they put on their uniform shirts for their particular rank is when I come and visit. Okay. Right? And most of them don't even know what the shirt is for the rank that they have because that tells you they never wear it in the regular class. All right? Wow. So so they have a really hard time even adhering to that kind of stuff in Hong Kong. Right? Not so much in the Leung Ting school because he had very strict rules about wearing uniforms, but even his own students who've gone on to do their own things, like my Seabach or whatever, like... The students are showing up really training in whatever the hell they feel mm. like it. And that seems to be kind of a Hong Kong tradition. Siva Leung Ting wanted to set himself apart from all those other people by having a standard uniform. Uh, on the other hand, I also think it's it's a good idea because, you know, le like I said, some of my friends who come from traditional Wing Chun schools, like, eh, whatever, who cares about what you train in? Just show up, wear your sneakers, wear whatever, and just go and train. Like, I get it. That's, yeah, all right? There's that's... something very organic, and that's also, to a certain degree, part of Chinese tradition. Understandable. Okay? But I think it's also part of some the informality of not having a uniform or let's just even just say wearing proper training clothes. Because sometimes, like, I've, I've come to my, my Seabuck school in Hong Kong. It's got students training in jeans, yeah. all right? And I know many Wing Chun people train in jeans, especially the more traditional ones, right, who don't necessarily have, like, a full-on professional school with a 
curriculum or whatever like that, right? And like I get it. So I'm not I'm not speaking from ignorance in like like uh, that I don't know that that's what they do. That they're so informal that half the students train in freaking jeans. All right, but I'm saying that is part of the tradition of Wing Chun. That is the reason why most Wing Chun people are not really that disciplined. Okay, because I'll tell you, I, I Chinese tradition is not the same as Japanese. I get it. All right, I know that. All right, but when you go to a Japanese karate school, okay. Mm. You know you're not going to walk on the mats with your shoes. You know that you have to have a fresh, clean uniform when you train. You cannot wear a dirty, stinky uniform. Same with jujitsu and all that, by the way. You respect your uniform, okay? This This thing that you train in, you respect the school. You don't, a karate student would never show up and just be like, I'm gonna train in jeans today, all right? And I'm not saying Kung Fu people need to wear a karate gi. I'm saying the problem is, that there is a little bit of discipline and a little bit of care and attention when there's a uniform, all right? And I'm not talking about McDojos and selling belts and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about traditional martial arts that use uniforms, so karate is a perfect example of it. All right. There's a discipline that comes to cleaning, keeping your uniform clean, wearing that uniform, respecting the school, that... Obviously, in Chinese martial arts, you respect the school and all that kind of stuff. But there's there's a certain casualness to it, oh. in my feeling, that's too casual. All right? Sifu Lee is a ranking system because he came from Leung He's got student levels, technician levels, practitioner levels. His students have that. Most of his students, even the technicians in his school, don't even know what shirt they're supposed to wear because they don't normally wear it. So, so it's only it's only ornamental when the white guy comes by so that they look uniform. All, all the right. times I go over there when I either get a new level or I go there to visit or whatever, and his instructors and assistants are scrambling to buy a shirt from him to put it on and asking what level shirt they're supposed to wear and get the right one there just so that when we take a group photo, it looks like they're in uniform when they're normally not. All right? Wow. And so... The, the uniform doesn't have to be anything hokey or traditional. And even, I think, what Kung Fu schools should do, if you don't want to have a uniform with, like, okay, like, obviously, we wear pants and shirts and the different ranks have different, like, you don't have to go like that. But you should have a dress code, all right? In order to train Wing Chun, okay, hmm. you need to wear, uh, obviously, if you have mats, maybe you're barefoot, or if you have normal floors, you need to wear proper training shoes. Okay. You need to wear some kind of trainers or pants whether they're sweatpants or jogging pants or whatever something you can move in something that's meant to be moved in which are not jeans okay i don't care that wing chun doesn't have high kicks you're coming to training man wear something for training all right a t-shirt so i think if if kung fu schools don't want to adopt a uniform man a Adopt the dress code. Okay. Have some kind of discipline that the students need to come wearing something or change into something that is for proper athletic training, even if you don't throw high kicks, athletic bro. Athletic wear. All right, yeah. You okay. don't have to have the Chuck Norris action jeans with the diamond crotch no, gusset so you can go kick high. You should just wear some sweats or something like that, right? So I, I, I agree with that. Now, obviously, in the Leung Ting system, they, they formalize all the ranks and stuff like that. So anyway, to get back to his question. Mm-hmm. Siva Langton created a unique jacket for the technician uniforms because he did not want to wear 
he did not want his guys to wear that frog button thing. Okay. They, they sometimes jokingly called the Jing Wu uniform, right? Um, because wow. he felt that that was too generic. He wanted to create something that was unique. That when you see those technician jackets, you know that this is WT, this is Lang Tang, something like that, right? Um, whereas if you see someone wearing a frog button jacket, you don't know what Kung Fu school this is, right? The WT uniforms are unmistakable. And that was kind of the whole point. That's why he made them that way. All okay. right. Um, as for the specific design, um, the whole thing with the different student levels, or th these things were created over time. When Sipa Leung first started teaching, even professionally, he didn't have like 12 student levels like the way that they do now. Basically, you had a white shirt when you were a student learning Siunam Tao and Chamkyu. And when you learned this, finished learning the Siunam Tao and Chamkyu curriculum, uh, then you did your test to become a technician. And then wow. so you basically wore, at that time, they wore shorts. They didn't wear pants. And so you wore like black shorts, the black Kung Fu slippers, and a white T-shirt with the Leung Ting logo on it. Until you went for your technician level, which, meant that, you had, which meant that you had graduated learning Siunam Tao and Chamkyu. And actually, even back then, the technician uniform was black pants and the black jacket with that tie. It didn't have the stripes on there. Oh. A lot of people don't know that that the original primary level technician uniform didn't have the red stripes on it. It just it was just black and the jacket was black. Because when you got your second level technician, that's when you got the version that had the stripes on the pants and the stripes on the jacket. Because at second level technician, that was also when you were allowed to become an instructor. Okay. So the uniform in the old days was like shorts and 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 you didn't even get pants until you became an instructor and part of the reason was it's hot as balls in hong kong <laughs> all right and so so when you're training you're at the, the student when you're yeah, at the student yeah. stage okay. it's 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 cooler to wear shorts because you're not sweating as much by the time you become an instructor maybe because you spend more time teaching you can wear the pants because you're not moving around as much but they still had shorts for the technicians because obviously you're still expected to train as a technician but also the shorts allowed the instructor to see the students footwork better if you wear shorts i can see like i can see like if your knees are in the correct position okay. if your foot's in the correct but like i can see your yeah. legs better with shorts so i can correct your stance more. see those knees yeah if you're wearing baggy pants it's a lot harder to kind of correct the stance right so that's why in the old days like it was it was shorts only for the students so black shorts, white shirt, until you became a technician. So they didn't have this thing with black shirts. and It was like you were a white shirt until you were a technician. Wow. And then primary technician was an all-black uniform. Second-level technician to fourth-level, you had the thin stripes. And then when you became a master at fifth-level, you got the thick stripes, which went all the way to the edge of the uniform. And that was the idea. Where he, he got the coloring, I mean, where he got the rank scheme was somewhat from Masoyama. Where he got the specific design, I don't know. I know that his mother designed the original technician jacket. Yeah. And, the, and the original technician jacket didn't yeah. have the flaps underneath so every time he did the last movement in Buji like everyone's belly was showing yeah. and then they changed it and they added the flaps sure. at the bottom okay. um, but uh, beyond that I, I don't know he, he wrote about it in one of the Wing Chun World magazines mm. uh, they did an article that talked about the development of it but the main thing is that he just did not want to have a uniform that looked like the other one so it became unique it became like a trademark alright so what else you got alright Fab Myers Fab Myers Hi, KFG and the team. Another one. All Shouting right. out the team. Yeah. I People like are afraid guy. of either getting your names wrong or forgetting someone. Yeah. <laughs> forgetting someone. Yeah. Team. Many thanks for answering my question about Chen Waiman on previous episode. Yep. I really appreciate it. 
I have another question for you. Yes. Do you know anything about Jesse Glover's brother, Mike Lee? Mm. He is a bit of a mysterious figure and not a great deal seems to be known about him. Mm. Do you have any knowledge on his Nova system that he developed? And if you do, what are your thoughts on it? Cheers again and keep up the great work. Yeah, so Jesse Glover had a younger brother named Mike Lee. Uh, I, I'm going with the assumption, based on that, because I did read that comment thread, that he might still be alive, but he might also not be alive. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I don't know. Um, in some of Jesse Glover's books, which he self-published, one of the books in particular, he was really, you could tell he's really proud of his younger brother. Um, and he used a lot of photos of his younger brother. So Jesse Glover taught what he called non-classical Kung Fu, mm-hmm. which was based on what he had learned from Bruce Lee in that early period in Seattle, he, him being obviously Bruce Lee's first student there. And it's a it's a relatively simple system. It's not really complex in terms of curriculum and structure. It's, it's you know, a couple core ideas executed um, relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Um, Jesse's younger brother, Mike Lee, from what I could tell just from the writing, seemed to be a bit of a, perhaps a prodigy in his younger brother's method. So Mike Lee, from what I understood, he did not learn from Bruce at all. He learned from his older brother. But he was apparently cool. a, like a bit of a prod, prodigy, super well-built. It was in the, the photos were all in the 70s. So he's like, he's like just a smooth-looking dude with like bell-bottoms on, like built and just like a total badass doing all, all right. this like... You know, backfists and stuff. I, 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 I had recently stumbled there. I think there was some clip of Mike Lee doing some stuff, some grainy old super eight millimeter footage someone had posted somewhere on YouTube, I think. Um, wow. And so he eventually I created his own system called Nova. So I don't know if that's his take on you heard of Nova. Yeah. Uh, that's his take. Uh, you remember the Chevy Nova? Yeah. That car back in the, you know, that way that was a bad seller in Spanish speaking countries. Uh, because Nova means won't go. Yeah. I mean, Nova. It doesn't go. No. All right? Yeah. So, yeah. You, no, no one not. wants to buy the car that's the Chevy it doesn't go. Doesn't go. Right? So, um, so I don't, thing is, I cannot speak intelligently about Mike Lee's Nova system. I remember reading about it, but I don't know if Nova is his version of non-classical Kung Fu. Oh, I don't yeah. know if Nova is something he developed from non-classical Kung Fu. And I don't know if Nova is something entirely different altogether. Like, I, ca- I can't say. But I know that Jesse Glover seemed very impressed and very proud of his younger brother. From what I can tell, he's more or less disappeared off the face of the planet. Because hmm. um, no one in Seattle was talking about Mike Lee. Um, I do know from that comment thread, because I didn't read that comment thread, that uh, I think the person who asked the question said that there was an interview with him done later and that he might be around. But uh, no, I mean, I, uh, if you guys know anything about it, please post it in the comments below. I would love to watch uh, any videos or interviews or anything that is about uh, Mike Lee, because my it's a it's a dark, empty uh, cabinet in my head on Mike Lee info. I really I don't know anything. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So next up, we got Russell H., Another fine show. I love these stories about Seagong, Tom Hun Fan. Tom Hun Fan. Uh-huh. I will Hun-fan. have to ask Sifu more juicy details. Uh-huh. I understand that he was already proficient in another style of Kung Fu before coming to Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. But I still take motivation from him coming to it later in life. Great advice on that front again in this episode too. Perhaps for those medical questions, you could get the renowned Dr. 
Eisen to come on to the show. It's weird because it's kind of spelled like like Dre Eisen. Dre. Okay, what's the question? Uh huh. Slightly random question. Do you know of anywhere to find Wing Chun terminology with Yale style notation? Uh. There's a little on Wikipedia, but mostly there's no notation in other sources. And my native speaking Seahings have no idea about the notation. Mm -hmm. I'm unfortunately not likely to be able to read Chinese characters anytime mm. soon. Mm. Mm. Uh, great. Yeah. So obviously he's some grand student or great grand student of the late Tom Hong Fun, mm -hmm. um, who I talked about had asked Grandmaster Yipman to teach him and Grandmaster Yipman said, oh, I'm too old, you should learn from Leung Tang and then he became mm -hmm. one of the top guys under Sifu Leung Tang in those days and unfortunately I didn't have a chance to meet him but I do know some of Tom Hong Fun's uh, not too many He's of his... the one who beat up the sailors. He's the one who beat up the sailors. Yeah. Yeah, I know some of his grand students, especially in Singapore. Uh -huh. uh, uh, some of uh, Tamung Fun's great grand students like Joe Lee, really great friends and great supporters of um, buying my books and all sorts of stuff. Really, yeah, really cool, great cool. guys. Really great guys. Um, so, yeah. So, that all, I could also talk about Tamung Fun too. It's a very, very interesting topic. Um, in terms of the terminology, all right, um, Cantonese has one major problem that Mandarin doesn't have, and that there's no standardized way to phoneticize Cantonese words using essentially our alphabet, right? And that's why you see so many different variations of it. Um, you know, for example, uh, even with like Chun, with Wing Chun, C-H-U-N, T-S-U-N, all mm -hmm. these different kind of things, right? And the reason is because... Um, for whatever reason, Cantonese speakers made no particular effort to standardize their phonetics into a way for foreigners to learn. And perhaps that's because Cantonese is very rarely studied by non-Chinese. Um, normally, if a Westerner learns to speak Chinese, it's always Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And in mainland China, they standardize the phonetization of Mandarin in something called pinyin. And so, mm -hmm. you, so which made it possible for you to learn Mandarin without having to read Chinese characters at all because you could you could read it using our own alphabet with tone markers or numbers for the tones and know exactly how to pronounce it pitch perfect using um, our tone markers so for example xin is xin and if you use it with a first tone xin means heart okay and and you know you have the different tones so you could basically read chinese using your own alphabet and tone markers and not have to be able to read chinese and that facilitated um, I mean, the fact that Mandarin is so much easier to learn than Cantonese is not because of the tones. It's because they have pinyin. It's standardized. If you really want to learn to speak Cantonese, you really have to, like, listen and try to imitate. And you have to have someone there that you can ask questions to because otherwise you're going to be lost. Um, there is one system of phonetization that, in my opinion, is the best. Okay. And it's the Yale system of phonetics. And the, the better books and courses that I have use that one. But... Unfortunately, it's not standard. Like, like it's so good. The Yale system is the best. It has no discrepancies. It's standard. If you learn the tone markers and you learn the Yale system, you can properly pronounce Cantonese without having to learn Chinese first or without. If you know the if you know the Yale system transliteration, you don't need to ask a Chinese person how to pronounce it. You'll be able to pronounce it. But for some reason, it's not totally accepted everywhere. I use it in my books, All right. and when Wing Chun 101 comes out, which will be like my, my crowning achievement, yeah. 
I will have a complete glossary with the Yale system pinion in the back for everything. For the names of the movements, the forms, the mottos, everything. It'll all be in there as much as I can cram in there. And so as far as like there being a list, I don't know about that. Um, And as far as his uh, seniors not knowing it, for people who grew up learning how to speak Cantonese, they never needed to learn how to phoneticize stuff. So so, my wife, Carol, who speaks Cantonese, when she she doesn't know how to write something using an alphabet, she will ask me. She'll be like, how do you write like chalk in... Uh-huh. In a way that it would make sense, and I'll I'll write that stuff for her because okay. because that's not how they learn it. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's part of what makes Cantonese so difficult. Unfortunately, there's another one called Chut Ping, and instead of Y, they use a J, and that always throws me off, man. That one drives me Jute nuts. Ping. Yeah, and a lot of the ones on YouTube, like the teach yourself Cantonese, they use the Jut Ping. Jut Ping is trash. Why would you use a J for a Y? It makes no sense. Mm. And 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 there's all all sorts of other weird discrepancies like that. But you know. Yeah, um, maybe one day I'll I'll release some kind of course like Cantonese for Wing Chun people. Only if people okay. are interested. Next up, we got K Dub. K Dub. K Dub, at KFG, at the ten year anniversary of Bruce Lee's death. One of those present was his main equipment fabricator. George Lee or or who or Alan Joe? Who one of those guys was the guys who made all this stuff for him? He said he was working on a mechanical dummy paraphrased because lee could no longer work up a sweat training sparring with human beings what do you know about this claim anyone who's seen a photo of bruce lee knows that man could sweat like an mf'er what are you talking about all right well, he could not work up a sweat bruce bruce would training sweat with humans bruce would sweat just by talking what are you talking about bruce was one of the sweatiest guys you've ever seen he had his sweat glands removed from his armpit because he, he was, was a sweaty, sweaty dude. Okay. Bruce Lee not being able to sweat no. because normal human beings can't. <laughs> this sounds like up. a bunch of hot nonsense. Hmm. This sounds like a, a third-hand story that someone in the middle misunderstood and told it wrong to two other people. Okay. Um, no, this mechanical doesn't. Mechanical dummy? No. This doesn't make any sense. No. Maybe he was creating a mechanical dummy that would different arms would shoot out like, you know, something where you have to like react or whatever. But for the sake of him not being able to sweat, Mm. that man could sweat. What are you talking about? All right. Look at Enter the Dragon, Uh which was after his sweat glands were removed. The man could sweat. Okay, And that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications, and comment below any questions you want me to answer on a future episode. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Two, three, clap. All right. Sifu has the clap. No. Not anymore. All right, so... <laughs> All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of... See? What the hell, the more, the more, the more energy I put into that all sorts, the other yeah. shit just flies out the I window. Tell you, he's like a video game guy. He's using <laughs> energy like this, and then you start to see it go like this by the time he gets to the middle of it, Yo, and he's got dude. nothing. Here's the thing. When you're playing Outrun... 
you wait until the end of the race to hit the fucking hit knots, the right? You know oh, what yeah, I mean? You don't nuts. hit it at the beginning. All right. You don't hit All the right. boost at the beginning. Don't hit the boost. Armchair, wing hunt, wing chun. Wing hung. Wing hung. Wing hung. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of ha, 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 uh, all sorts of ha, 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 a ha moment. Get it together. I'm late. Oh, darn it. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung <laughs> Sorry, Fu Genius. Hey, he f***ed that one up. Yeah, do what? it again. What? Yeah, he did f*** it up. I would have got it on that take. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now it's going to be yeah. eight more before he gets it. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of armchair, wheelchair, having ass motherfuckers. <laughs> armchair historian, armchair Wing Chun historians, armchair Wing Chun, armchair Wing Chun historians. Hey, da!